Well, hey, everybody. Welcome to Eagle Brook Church. It's really good to have you with us today at all of our campuses. Hopefully you had a great Thanksgiving. Uh, last weekend was a historic one in our church. We talked about doing something to help the least of these. People who are hungry, thirsty, need shelter or clothing. And at the end of that service, we did a special offering. And we said, we're going to give all the money that we received today away to organizations both in Minnesota and all throughout the world that help those who are in need. Some of that money goes towards Urban Ventures, which has started a new program for men who are incarcerated to develop their character. They've seen incredible success with this program. Some of it's going to Orphan Network, which is an organization that helps orphans in Nicaragua to feed them and to clothe them and to care for them. And so last weekend we said if everybody gave $25, we would raise $500,000 to give away to organizations like that and many others as well. And I wanted to let you know that we are tracking really well. Right now, at this point, we have received $450,000. So we're really close. Yep, go ahead and clap for what God is doing with that. But we said this last week, we're looking for 100% participation. And so if you are a person who didn't get a chance to give or you didn't get to watch last weekend's message, I encourage you to go watch it on eaglebrookchurch.com. But you can still give up through November 30th. We'll still keep that open. There's still an opportunity to participate. And we really believe we can get to 500000 and do some incredible things both locally and globally. That was last weekend. This weekend, for some of you, was just a no-brainer to come to church. I mean, that's what church is for you. It's a non-negotiable. It's just what you do every week. But for others of you, it may be the first time you've come back to church in a while. And I wanted to let you know that I can relate to that a little bit. I didn't grow up going to church. In fact, the first time I ever attended in my life, I wandered into a Catholic mass at the school that I was attending wearing a Wu-Tang Clan t-shirt. It was a rap group that I liked at the time. And basketball shorts. And I was immediately mortified to find that all of my peers were wearing collared shirts and khaki pants. But I remember thinking at that time that all Christians had it all together. You know, they, came, they all came from two-parent families where nobody raised their voice in anger where dad led nightly Bible studies over home-cooked dinners, and who didn't struggle with sexual temptation and purity like I did at the time. And so I thought that all Christians had it all together. These days, I'm a pastor. I'm on the inside of the church world, and let me tell you something. This church is filled with messed up people. I mean, it's really probably the only prerequisite we have to come here, I'm one of the pastors, and I can be moody, petty, irritable, and selfish. I'm way too critical with my kids and wife. See, I used to think that you had to clean up your life before you could come to God and kind of make yourself presentable. But what I'm learning and what so many people in this church have discovered is that God receives you just as you are. You don't have to wear collared shirts and khaki pants if you don't want to. You don't have to shape up, clean up, or dress up. You can come just as you are right now, and God will receive you. And so I'm glad you're here today because we are beginning a brand new four-week series called The God That I Wish That You Knew. In fact, I want to challenge you, give this four weeks. Even if you're not somebody who regularly attends church or you're the kind of person who maybe comes once a month, would you come to all four weeks of this series and allow us to introduce you to the God that we wish that you knew? 
Because sometimes I'll be talking to somebody who doesn't regularly attend church or who doesn't consider themselves a follower of Christ, and I'll say, well, why is that? And I'll hear answers like this, well, God doesn't love me. I mean, look at all the bad things he's allowed to happen in my life. How could he? Or, or God is mad at me. I've done some really bad and sinful things. I don't think that God could ever accept me. And while I understand that there are reasons that people feel that way, I always find myself thinking, that's not Jesus. That's not the God of the Bible. The God that I wish you knew, he loves you deeper than any human being has ever loved you. The God that I wish you knew, he wants the very best for your life. He's not trying to hold you back from something. He wants the very best for you. The God I wish that you knew, he's slow to anger. He's quick to forgive. He's full of compassion. He's forgiven my sins. He's filled my life with good things. He's surrounded me with mercy and unfailing love. And he receives you just as you are. About a month ago, during a message here at church, I talked about how much I like Sour Patch Kids. And after sharing that illustration in a message, I have been inundated with boxes of Sour Patch Kids. I got two boxes of extreme Sour Patch Kids. I had one guy who made me some homemade gummies that he had injected with citric acid. I don't even know how you do these things. I received about seven boxes of Sour Patch Kids after I shared in that illustration how much I like them. I really need to do an illustration about how much I like BMWs. <laughs> but I doubt I'll ever get the chance because I'll probably be dead from all these Sour Patch Kids that I'm currently eating. Now, one of these boxes of Sour Patch Kids got left out in our van, which was parked in our driveway. And my three-year-old son, Jasper, somehow remembered that the box was out there. He can't remember anything, but somehow he remembered he knew exactly where they were. And so without saying a word to anybody, he just walked out our front door, walked outside, got in the car, and ate the entire box of Sour Patch Kids. When confronted about this, he said, my friend told me that you needed to share I said, I don't know who your friend is, but I don't share my Sour Patch Kids. <laughs> this is the same three-year-old who jumped up on stage during the kids' service at church when he wasn't supposed to be up there. So if your kids are misbehaving in church, trust me, I'm not judging you on that at all. But about a month ago, I took Jasper with me to one of my other son's conferences at school. And as we were leaving the conference... My other son made a joke about what a troublemaker Jasper can be and how he's always kind of getting into things. And so both of the teachers laughed, but right away I could see this hurt look on Jasper's face. We got out to the hallway and he said to me, he said, Dad, that hurt my feelings. And so I took him into the bathroom just to kind of get him away from everyone else. I got down on his level right there in the bathroom and I said, son, I love you no matter what. I said, you're a good boy. Even when you don't listen to me, even when you disobey me, I said, I love you because you are my son. And sometimes you don't know what kids pick up on and what they don't, but he put his arms out and he took three steps towards me and gave me the biggest hug he's ever given me in his life. Buried his head into my chest and that's where we sat and held each other, right by the toilet, 
having one of the best father-son moments I've ever had in my life. I, I wonder if there are some of you here today who that's what God wants to say to you. That you've started to label yourself as a troublemaker. you started to label yourself as somebody that God would want nothing to do with. But what if God came down to your level? He did that in Jesus Christ, you know. Jesus left heaven. He became a human being. He came right down to our level. And what if God wants to say to you today, I love you no matter what. Even when you've ignored me. Even in those years that you ran from me and you disobeyed me. I love you because you are my son. I love you because you are my daughter. You actually don't have to wonder if God would want to say that to you or not. He's already said it in the Bible. Look at what he says in Romans chapter 3. Paul writes, We are made right in God's sight when we trust Jesus Christ to take away our sins. And we can be saved in the same way, and then get this, no matter who we are or what we have done. No matter who you are. No matter if you are rich or poor. No matter if you are black or white. No matter if you are male or female. No matter who you are. No matter what you have done, no matter if you have been sexually immoral, if you've had an abortion, or if you yelled at your kids on the car ride to church today, God will receive you just as you are, no matter who you are or what you have done. And I know this phrase oftentimes gets overused, but I believe that that last sentence has the power to transform your life. If every single one of us here knew that we were accepted by God, that would be a game changer for you. You would live with the peace of knowing where you're going to spend eternity. You would not be so obsessed with other people liking you. Some of us just live our life to be accepted by other people. You would still want people to like you, but you would live with a confidence of knowing that you are accepted by God. You would live with the freedom of knowing that all of your sins, past, present, and future, have been paid for and forgiven by God. And you can have all of that today. God will receive you no matter who you are or what you have done, but that doesn't mean that there's no response on our part. In fact, there are two responses to this news. Both of them come from Romans chapter 3, and the first one is this, turn from your sins. Look at what it says in Romans 3 says we are made right in God's sight when we trust in Jesus to take away our sins. Another verse. He says this two verses later. God in his gracious kindness declares us not guilty. He has done this through Jesus Christ who has freed us by taking away our sins. The first response to this news that God would receive you no matter who you are or what you have done is to turn from your sins, to trust Christ, to take away your sin. The Bible refers to this as repentance, which just simply means confess your sin. Acknowledge it to God. Turn away from it. But the problem is that most Americans today don't think their sin is that big of a deal. And maybe you've thought these kinds of things before, but many people think, you know, I'm a good person. I mean, I made some mistakes. I mean, everybody makes mistakes every now and then, but that's kind of what makes us who we are. It's part of the journey of our life. And, you know, deep down inside, I'm a good person. And I think that God will take that into account on Judgment Day. 
But is that true? Are you really a good person? To answer that question, I want to give you a short quiz. It's just three questions long. I saw an evangelist, Ray Comfort, do this one time. And consider this kind of a, am I a good person quiz. So the first question is this. Have you ever told a lie before? Go ahead and raise your hand. This won't be that embarrassing. Go ahead and raise your hand. If you look around you and you see somebody who doesn't have their hand raised, pull it up for them because they're lying, okay? (laughs) Every single person has told a lie. Now, the second question is this. Have you ever stolen something before? Gum, printing paper from work. Yeah, I mean, I've done that as well. Not from Eagle Brook, but I've (laughs) done other things. Here's a third question. Have you ever looked lustfully at someone before? You weren't so quick to raise your hand on that one, were you? (laughs) If it makes you feel any better, I have done all three of those. Now, let's break this down for just a moment. What do you call somebody who tells a lie? You call them a liar, right? What do you call somebody who has stolen something before? That's a thief. And then Jesus says that when you look lustfully at someone, you have committed adultery in your heart. In other words, by your own admission, you are a lying, thieving adulterer. Aren't you glad you came to church today to hear that? Here's my point. I'm not a good person. You are not a good person. Compared to other people, yes. We're probably better than many of them, but other people are not the standard to which we are judged. Look what the Bible says about this in Romans 3.23. For all have sinned, all fall short of God's glorious standard. When we compare ourselves to other people, we can probably hit the mark. When we compare ourselves to our own standards, we might be able to hit the mark. But when we compare ourselves to God's standard, his holy and perfect standard, every single one of us falls short. None of us is a good person. This is why the Bible says this, again, Romans 3, no one is good, not even one. Not Billy Graham, not Mother Teresa, not Martin Luther King Jr., no one. The Bible says that all of us have sinned and deserve punishment from God. But then listen to what this says. This is so good. Next verse. God says, for God sent Jesus to take away the punishment for our sins and to satisfy God's anger against us. A while back, I got an email from a woman whose husband, years ago, had had an affair. And through extensive counseling and really some God-sized forgiveness, they were able to retain their marriage. By the way, I realized that for some of you, that wasn't possible. That that betrayal was so heartbreaking, it just broke the relationship beyond repair. But in their case, this woman emailed me because she really felt bad for her husband. She said, ever since the affair, he has lived with depression and anxiety. He has so much guilt over what he has done. And then she said this. She said, I think he's punished himself enough. Now, maybe you feel the same way. Maybe there's something that you did in your past that you feel an extreme amount of guilt and sadness over. In fact, every day it's like you pick up this backpack and you put it on and it just kind of weighs you down. The popular thought in our culture is, well, you need to do your penance. You need to punish yourself for a certain period of time, and then maybe you can be forgiven. Here's what I wrote back to that woman. I said, if 
And that really is the big word. But if your husband has repented of his sin and put his faith in Jesus Christ, then Jesus took his punishment. He doesn't need to punish himself now or ever because there's no reason to be punished twice. He doesn't need to live in guilt and shame. Jesus became his guilt and his shame. I said he can live with gratitude and wonder that God would do that for him. Now, is there going to be consequences for his behavior? Absolutely. But I said he needs to read verses like this almost every single day. For God sent Jesus to take away the punishment for our sins. That is the God that I wish that you knew. He takes your guilt. He takes your shame. He pays your penalty. He, he takes your punishment upon himself. He completely washes away your sin. Last March, our family drove down to South Carolina for spring break. And like most cars in Minnesota at that time, our car was filthy. It was just covered with salt and with grime. And so when we got down to South Carolina, all the other cars were shiny and clean. And so we decided to go to a car wash. And the way that this car wash worked was an attendant would come out and take your order. In our case, the attendant came out. She glanced up from her clipboard she was just about to say, welcome to, and then she broke off mid-sentence. And she said, oh, man. I said, I know, we're from Minnesota. She said, oh, man, remind me to never go to Minnesota. The guy in front of me was driving a black Mercedes that was so shiny, it was blinding me a little bit. I thought, why does that guy have to be here? For a third time, she said, oh, man, and just shook her head in disgust. Finally, she asked me what I wanted. I said, give me the cheapest. She said, honey, that's not going to get this car clean. She said, I either needed to get the tidal wave package or the tsunami package to get my car clean. I ended up going with the tsunami package. And after that power wash, I drove out of there like a boss. Me and black Mercedes guy, we were on equal footing. Except for maybe the fact that I was driving a Toyota Sienna minivan, but it's a swagger wagon, so we were on equal footing. Now, here's the point. Maybe you feel as dirty as my van, that you have spent years of your life feeling that way. Maybe there was jail time in your past, a DUI verbal or physically abusing or hurting someone that you love. And every day you live with this embarrassment that everybody can see it. I mean, you're from Minnesota and they can all tell. They can see the dirt and the grime on your life. If that's you, you need to hear today that at the cross of Jesus Christ, your sins can be power washed away. Jesus is offering you the tsunami package today. Your good works can't get you clean. Spiritual practices and meditations can't get you clean. Trying to clean up your life on your own, get a job, dress nice, get married, have kids, that cannot get you clean. We are not mistakers in need of correction. We are sinners in need of a Savior. You don't just need a second chance. You need a second birth. And only Jesus Christ is offering you the tsunami package. It's because only Jesus Christ lived a sinless life. 
He never sinned. He never deserved the penalty for his sin, but he died anyway to take our punishment for us. And here's what you need to know. When you trust Christ to take away your sins, you are as clean as anyone else. You are on equal footing with black Mercedes guy. You are on equal footing with I grew up going to church my whole life guy. You are on equal spiritual footing with pastor guy or anyone else that you think of as spiritual. You are completely clean and forgiven. But you have to turn from your sins. You have to confess it. You have to acknowledge it before God. And then you have to make an attempt to turn away and stop living that way. And when you turn from your sin, inevitably you're going to turn towards something else. And that's the second response, which is this. Turn toward Christ. Romans 3, again, it's a great chapter. It says, We are made right with God when we believe that Jesus shed his blood, sacrificing his life for us. Doesn't say believe in yourself. That doesn't do you much good in this situation. It says believe in Jesus Christ. And when the Bible uses this word believe, it doesn't just mean believe that Jesus exists. Think about this for a moment. Satan believes that God exists. I don't know if you believe in a spiritual being named Satan or not. You know, if you're kind of new to Christianity, that may seem a bit nuts to you. But let's just say for the sake of the argument that there is a spiritual being named Satan. He believes that God exists. He knows it for a fact. But that doesn't do him much good, does it? In the same way, it's not enough just to believe that God exists. You have to trust him with your life. You have to put your faith in him. And faith isn't just a feeling. I used to notice this for years when I was a youth pastor. I would take teenagers on a fall retreat, and on the Saturday night of the fall retreat, the speaker would always give a salvation message. He would invite kids to put their faith in Christ for the first time. And it was powerful to watch teenagers make that commitment. You would talk to some of them afterwards, and they would say, I feel so close to God right now. But then we would go to bed, and at 7 a.m., the alarm would go off. And we would all be sharing a room in some, like, bunk bed kind of thing. And, of course, the one kid who owned the alarm, he was the one kid who never woke up. You know, everybody else is putting their pillow over their head. And then there's always the one kid who's really excited to see the youth pastor in the morning. And so he would always come up to me and go, what are we having for breakfast? When are we leaving? What are we doing today? And I learned there's only one way to handle that kid. You don't brush your teeth. You just take a deep breath. And then you just say, I don't know what time we're leaving. I don't know what we're having for breakfast. And that would pretty much take care of that kid every single time. It's the only thing that worked. But here's what I noticed. These kids did not feel as much faith at 7 o'clock in the morning as they felt the night before. But what changed? Nothing. Their relationship with God was the same. Faith isn't just a feeling. Faith is a daily trusting in Jesus Christ with your life. It's wanting to get to know Christ. It's wanting to obey him. And the Bible says that faith is so important that there is only one way to be accepted by God. He makes people right with him only by faith. Muhammad, Buddha, and the Mormon prophets did not live a sinless life and then die for your sins. In fact, it is possible to not be right with God 
and to have grown up in a Christian home. It's possible to have gone to a Christian school and not be right with God. It's possible to be a generous, kind person and not be right with God. The Bible makes it very clear the only way to be right with God is to put your faith in Jesus Christ. Good works don't even do it. Good works don't cancel out your sin any more than a Diet Coke cancels out the fries and burger at McDonald's. I mean, wouldn't that be nice? But it doesn't work that way, which is why the Bible says this. Can we boast then that we have done anything to be accepted by God? No, Paul writes. Because our acquittal is not based on our good deeds. It is based on our faith. We are made right with God through faith and not by obeying the law. I've just been reading for you a sampling of verses from Romans chapter 3. I don't know how God could make it any more clear. It's not by being a good person. It's not by good works that we're saved. It's only through faith in Christ. It's Jesus plus nothing. Recently, our family uh, switched doctors. And so I hadn't had a physical in well over a year. And so I went to see this doctor. And when I told him that I was a teaching pastor at Eagle Brook, he said, oh, I gotta tell you my Eagle Brook story. He said about three years ago, this patient came in for a physical. And when you take a physical, you have to fill out this health history form. And so the first question was, do you smoke? And the guy was like, yeah, I do. The next question was, do you drink? And this guy was very honest. He said, yeah, you know, I actually get drunk multiple times a week. Next question was, what's your sexual history? He said, I don't, I don't even really know. I, lots of one-night stands with women I don't know. Turns out he was doing drugs as well. So the doctor gives him this physical. And wouldn't you know it, but he is fit as a fiddle. There's nothing wrong with him physically at all. But my doctor, who's a believer in Christ, thinks to himself, if I don't say something, then maybe he's never going to hear it. And so he gets done with the physical, and he looks this man in the eye. And he said, you know, physically you don't have a problem. But you have a spiritual problem. The patient looks at him sort of inquisitively. And so the doctor goes on. He says, you know, physically you're healthy, but spiritually you're sick. You're trying to fill up your life with drugs and alcohol and sex when really the only thing that can bring you true fulfillment is a relationship with Jesus Christ. And the patient looks at him and he says, you know, it's crazy that you say that because that's what my neighbors have been telling me. I don't know if he was just throwing keggers every weekend or what, and they just finally had it. But he said, my neighbors have been trying to get me to come to Eagle Brook, this church of theirs. And my doctor, who doesn't come to Eagle Brook, he said, I think you should go. Fast forward a few years later. This patient comes back in. He says, do you remember me? The doctor said, yeah, I do. He said, I ended up going to that church, Eagle Brook. And when I was there, I heard this message. That God would receive me no matter who I was or what I had done. He said, I couldn't believe that because I had done some really bad things in my life. And then I heard that if I turned from my sin and I put my faith in Jesus Christ that I could be saved and I could get a whole new start with God and I could be right with him. And so I did that. And I got involved in a Bible study with a group of guys and I began to learn the Bible and learn about who Jesus is. 
And he said, you know, I was finding so much fulfillment in a relationship with Christ that all of a sudden those other things weren't as appealing to me. He said, I just stopped getting drunk. I stopped sleeping around. I found this godly woman who loves Christ and we got married and we're expecting our first child. He said, I don't know how to thank you enough. He said, there's been some consequences for my behavior that I've had to deal with. But God has completely transformed my life. There might be some of us here today who you are physically healthy, but you are spiritually sick. You don't have a physical problem, but you have a problem in your spirit. And what you need to know is the Bible says this, anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. If you carry with you guilt and shame, call upon the name of Jesus Christ. If you are trying to fulfill your life with drugs and sex and alcohol, call upon the name of Jesus Christ. If you're trying to be a good religious person, a moral person, apart from a relationship with God, call upon the name of Jesus Christ. The Bible says that anyone who calls upon his name will be saved. He will receive you no matter who you are or what you have done. And so right now, across our campuses, we want to do just that. I want to pause here right in the middle of the service, and I want to give you an opportunity to pray and to put your faith in Christ for the first time. We've got communion coming up after this. But there are some of you here today who you need to know that God will receive you just as you are. But you need to turn from your sin. And you need to turn towards Jesus Christ. So I'm going to lead you in a prayer in just a moment, and I want you to quietly pray this with me in your mind. Would you all bow your heads as we pray together? Jesus, you came down to our level. You became a human being, but you never sinned, and yet you died in our place to take our punishment that we deserved. And so, God, right now, there are some of us here at our church who never knew that you would receive us. We thought that because of who we were or what we had done, that that wouldn't be something that interested you. And God, right now in this moment, we believe that you have been speaking to us. And you've been saying, I'll receive you right now, friend. I'll receive you right now, my son or my daughter, no matter who you are or what you've done. And so in the quietness of their mind, they're just going to pray this prayer with me. God, I confess my sin. I acknowledge my sin and my disobedience against you, God. You already know it. You've already seen it. But I'm acknowledging it to you right now. And Lord, I'm putting my faith in Jesus Christ. I believe that he died to pay the penalty that I deserved and to take the punishment for my sin. And so God, right now in this moment, I believe that he died on that cross and then rose again three days later. And I believe that when I put my faith in him, that I will too one day rise again and spend eternity with you. And so God, from this day forward, I want to live my life to get to know you more to obey you, to trust you, to walk with you, and to love you. 
And I pray, God, that you would reveal your love and, and your son, Jesus Christ, to me. I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.